Hello, everyone. This is Alan Wayne. I would like to welcome you to the first and what I hope are going to be many episodes of the unofficial Deep Elm podcast. Yes, the brand new unofficial Deep Elm Records podcast. Now, you might be asking yourself, what is this? The unofficial Deep Elm Records podcast? What? I don't get it. And I wouldn't either if I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, first of all, let's start off with the Deep Elm Records part. Deep Elm Records is a record label that has been around for over 20 years, has released several several tracks, has released several records, and uh, is just an astounding label. And uh, I'll be getting into more of the story of why I've chosen to do a podcast on a record label in just a few moments. But Deep Elm Records can be found at www.deepelm.com. Their whole catalog is on a name-your-price basis, which is pretty extraordinary when you think about how things are going in the music industry these days. It's a pretty extraordinary thing that they're doing over there. So, And why is it unofficial, you're probably wondering. Well, uh, the podcast is unofficial because even though it is performed in cooperation or with the knowledge of Deep Elm Records, it is not officially a sponsored Deep Elm Product Does that make sense? I mean, it's something that basically it's like a fanboy podcast in a way, only I try to get a little deeper. I try to I try to get a little more into the subject matter and uh, I will be doing quite a few things with the artists on the label. I've done interviews with the artist. Basically, you know, the more I talk about it, the more I think, yes, it's a fanboy podcast for uh, Deep Elm Records. But why a record label? Well, what romanced me about this record label, and I'll tell you the story of how I came across Deep Elm Records. I was a student for, uh, uh, for broadcasting. I attended the Radio Connection School of Broadcasting, last year, uh, 2014. And I was looking for some music that I could use on my podcast because I was kind of scared of what was out there as far as music. I was playing quite a bit of copyrighted music on Spreaker.com and I never received any blowback from it. However, I read up and I saw that if you play music without permission on a podcast, then you're going to be in trouble. So I researched BMI, ASCAP, and all that, and it came out to be very, very expensive to have an ASCAP or BMI license. So I decided to approach independent record labels myself and try to find some independent music that I could utilize. I was going around the internet searching for indie labels, indie bands, indie everything, basically. I was looking for material, and I stumbled across Deep Elm Records, and from the moment I clicked on the website, I knew this was something different. I sampled a few of the artists. I remember sampling a group called 500 Miles to Memphis and another group called Accents, and I was immediately hooked. This was some of the best music I had ever heard. The more I went through the lineup, the more intrigued I became. The more the music emotionally struck me. I was not sure what was happening, 
but I knew that it was good. I knew that the music was good and that the cause was good. And I saw that Deep Elm Records had been in business for over 20 years. This was not your typical capital or uh, Atlantic type of situation or company on that level. It was a truly 100% indie label. And I'm not talking about a label that claims to be indie but has corporate backing and sponsors. No, no, no. This is a 100% purely independent record label completely independent of any real influence or any real pressure or anything like that. And then I found out, if that wasn't cool enough, then I found out the story of the label, how the label was founded, and I was sold. I knew that I had to work with this label. So I emailed info at deepelm.com, not really expecting a response. However, a response came back saying that I could use the music and I was so grateful because as soon as I started using Deep Elm music in my podcast and giving the credit saying, hey, you can find this on deepelm.com at name your price, a lot of people were just astounded by the music. They're like, what is this? This is really good. And I've never heard of it before. And as time went on, I realized that I didn't want to do a podcast on anything else but Deep Elm Records on the story, the history, the bands. And there's so much information on the site. The bands I've spoken to are so approachable and so humble and nice, and the music they make is phenomenal. And of course, I am in contact with the people at Deep Elm, and they've been so supportive. Every step of the way in crafting this podcast, it has been with Deep Elm's advisement and blessing. However, it is not officially sponsored in any way by Deep Elm Records. So I want to make that clear. It's kind of like if somebody was a fan of, let's just say, The Walking Dead, and they do a Walking Dead podcast, right? And they are able to talk with the directors and things of that nature. That kind of stuff happens, but it's never happened for a record label, especially an indie record label. So I figured I would do something different, do something kind of out there, do something that may be a niche or may fall on its face, I don't know. And honestly, I don't care. I do this for the same reason Deep Elm is in existence. For the glory, not the gold. Now, glory meaning that I would be, I guess you could say, the, the glory being that people do actually listen to the podcast and do actually get something out of it. Like friends of mine have listened to my podcast and they've said, wow, I never knew this music existed. Like they were so blinded by the corporate commercialism of music that when I exposed them to the Deep Elm Library, they were like, this is amazing. This is stuff that is groundbreaking. This is stuff I've never even imagined would be out 
and this is fantastic. So in every story, the best place to start is the beginning, isn't it? Well, in the beginning of Deep Elm Records, it actually all started with a blind date. Believe it or not, it all started with a blind date. That's right. There was a young man by the name of John Souk, doing very well for himself on uh, Wall Street, or at least in New York, in Manhattan, being an investment banker, working on mergers, acquisitions, those types of things. It was a pretty sweet gig. He got to fly all over the country. In fact, he flew all over the world. And this is a very smart guy. You don't just get these jobs by putting by filling out an application at a desk and BSing your way through an interview. You need backup and study and you need to know what you're doing. And John Souk knew what he was doing. So he wasn't a dummy by any stretch of the imagination, but he knew in his heart that this was not the right job for him. It required 24-7 focus. It required 24-7 availability. It required an unbelievable amount of time and even more of his soul. It was one of those jobs where you were paid well, but you worked very well for it. Very, very, very hard. So, so John, not feeling his, his situation, I mean, enjoying it as much as he could, but he just knew there was something different out there for him. He just knew. And do you know, you know how that feels, right? When there's something out there for you and you're not satisfied, how many of you actually go out and seek it? How many people out there can say that they go out and actually reach for that brass ring, that they go out and they actually want, or they actually, I guess you could say, conceptualize what they want and then actually take the steps <clears throat> to go make it happen. So back to how a record label started from a blind date. John Souk went on a blind date and the meeting place was the John Stewart show. Remember the John Stewart show? This is before the daily show folks. This is a while back. This is in the midnight, early to mid nineties that this happened. John goes on a blind date and he doesn't recall the blind date going very well. This is from an interview, by the way, all of this information about the founding of Deep Elm is from an interview that you can easily find on the website just by going to deepelm.com and clicking on about us. You go right down to the bottom of the page. You can read the full interview. So I'm going to be paraphrasing, hopefully in an entertaining manner so that you keep listening. So John goes on a blind date, he goes uh, to see the John Stewart show. And he couldn't say much about the show, but he remembers the musical guest. And the musical guest was a band by the name of Sunny Day Real Estate. Now, have you ever been to a concert that has completely blown your mind <clears throat> or seen a band that has completely changed your aspect of everything? I can say that I've gone maybe twice uh, to see bands that have completely changed my just my whole feeling about music and life period. Uh, one was rush and one was muse. Both of those bands 
something in the music, something in the presentation, something within the waves coming out of those gentlemen in those bands really resonated deeply within me and shook me, similar to the way a, a bridge gets shaken during a wind. Have you ever seen that footage of a bridge swaying, a, a bridge up in uh, Washington that because the wind hit a certain frequency, it swayed and it made concrete bend and it made steel look like spaghetti noodles. It was that kind of experience for John to see Sunny Day Real Estate. The pure emotion and raw energy coming off of that stage opened his eyes and made him realize that he wanted to start a record label. Now, think of the balls that it takes to do anything. Like, take, think of the balls it takes to pick up a hobby and actually follow through with it or <clears throat> start a business or something like that. John was turning down a large amount of money and future prosperity because he wanted to start a record label that showcased bands that gave him the same feeling as sunny day real estate it's one of those one of those things those those touchstone moments in your life that changes your path forever and that is what happened with john this chance viewing of a band at a sh at a show it wasn't even a concert it was a talk show and it was a blind date it's like the band was secondary but that's what affected him and that is what would change his life forever because after that he went out he got their cd he played it and he became more and more and more committed and determined to start a record label. Now, the name Deep Elm does come from the uh, Dallas, Texas Deep Elm uh, sect of music, Deep Elm Blues, things like that. But just shortened a little bit down to Deep Elm. He, he, John remembers, as he mentions in this interview, picking up the name somewhere. And it just stuck in his mind. Do you ever have anything like that where you just pick something up and it sticks in your mind? You cannot get it out of your mind. You need to draw it. You need to symbolize it, write words about it, write it down. It was that kind of situation for John. John could not get the name Deep Elm out of his head. And when it came time to officially start his record label, he knew that it had to be called Deep Elm Records. So how was John going to do this? I mean, honestly, how does someone out of the blue say, hey, I'm going to start a record label? Today on the internet, it's fairly easy. You could say that any band on Bandcamp has their own record label. Maybe not with the official lawyers and representation, but they are presenting music on a name independently, so they could call themselves record labels. This is 1995. <clears throat> Record labels were still fairly well established. The Geffen label was still in play. Columbia Records, Atlantic Records, Tower Records. Uh, Tower Records was a store that was still in existence back then. 
all sorts of record labels were still around. And it was just, I mean, it was that sweet spot in between the mega record label phenomenon of the 80s and the digital age of the 2000s. It was right in there where people were still buying CDs. <clears throat> Excuse me. People were still buying cassettes. People were still purchasing music at full price. But it was before piracy. It was before the age of the internet and the digital age where music became almost disposable, which is a shame. But hopefully now with artists like Adele selling 25 million copies of her album, I mean, crisp, clean, tangible copies of her album. Maybe there's a correction in store. Who knows? But back to the original point. This was 1995. This was a, in, in hindsight, it was a good time to start the record label. People were buying music left, right, and sideways. I remember as a kid, I was 15 years old at the time, buying music. Buying music was one of those things that I really enjoyed to do, buying CDs. And John wanted to jump into this, into this arena. <clears throat> now, keep in mind, he knew nothing about the business. It's not as though John studied music law and studied all of these different aspects of the music business before actually going into it. He just jumped right in. Once again, let's talk about the balls of this guy. I mean, come on. How, how do you, first of all, turn your back on Six Figures Easy in 1995 lot more money then than it is now, folks, to do something you're passionate about. Some would say that's insane. I say right on. That's inspiring to me. Very inspiring story. So he basically starts at his home base. He starts in the New York area and starts scouting talent. Now he had a bit of, he had a bit of capital at this time. And I, Assume that from the flow of the interview that I read. And he started working, trying to sign bands to large deals. He just figured he'd go out and say, hey, I'm going to go sign. The, I'm going to go and say, hi, my name is John. I'm with Deep Elm Records. Can I promote your music? And I'm going to sign you to this huge deal. Not a lot of bands took him up on it. In fact, no bands took him up on it. John was a bit discouraged. He had been around the scene. He'd been walking around. He'd been looking around, going to bars, going to clubs, meeting with bands, doing everything he could, hobnobbing, basically becoming, a, I guess, a music insider in a way, trying to get this inside knowledge about the bands that were playing clubs and things of that nature. And he ran into a lot of walls. Then one day, he was at a club watching a band. Actually, he really admired this band. Went up to them, said, Hi, my name is John. I'm with Deep Elm Records. I don't have anybody signed yet, but I'd like to sign you to a deal right now. Let's go. And this band that he really liked turned him down. John was discouraged but he was trying to trying to think what am i going to do to differentiate myself 
And what am I going to do to start this record label? Because honestly, it didn't go well at first. But then he was talking to someone. You know how you have those conversations outside of clubs. I remember I used to stand outside in the smoking patio all night long, go through a pack of American spirits and just talk all night long with people. So you get to talk and you get to know people. John was talking to somebody and they basically said, well, instead of signing these bands to large like label deals, why don't you try selling 45s. Now, this is when records weren't in vogue. This is to, right now it's 2015. Everybody's buying vinyl. Guitar Center has vinyl for crying out loud. You can get vinyl on Amazon. Everybody's releasing everything on vinyl. It's become a thing with the current generation, but back in 1995 records were like what? You can get a box of records at a churchyard sale for a buck. So, it was definitely a way to go. It wasn't the most popular way to go. It was probably the most affordable way to go at that time because of the lack of popularity of records. But John also saw a market there. He thought, hmm, instead of going big, why not start small and build? And that those are the best ways that those are the best. That's the best way to do things is to build, not to just throw a whole bunch of money at a situation and hope it works out. You start small and you build. I have no illusions about this podcast. I know that my first shoot, my first hundred podcasts may reach 20, 20 hits each if I'm lucky. However, if one person sends me an email at unofficialdeepelm at gmail.com that says, I heard your podcast and I purchased some music that I heard and I am a fan of this record label, then I will be happy. And that's just the honest to God truth. I will be happy. Because in the end, John did not do this. He did not start this label to become rich. He started this label to give bands that he saw talent in, to give bands that he saw an emotional tie that could be achieved with an audience, to give these bands a place to be promoted and supported. That is why John did this. He is a perfect example of doing everything for the right reasons. Most people start businesses to make money. How many people start businesses that are their passion? It's like an old friend of mine said, Shotgun Tom Kelly, recently retired radio host of K-Earth 101 and uh, has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Really good guy. He told me, Alan, find something you love to do Get paid for it, and you'll never work a day in your life. And isn't that something great to aspire to? So so John starts on this idea. He says, okay, I am going to press 45s. One song on each side. It's only a two-song commitment from the band. 
do them one at a time and start from scratch. I mean, this is bare bones. This is at the dirt. This is at the floor. This is starting almost underneath the floor. I mean, this is, this is very entry level here. So John is walking one day and he sees somebody posting a flyer up for a show. He says, hi, my name's John. Starts striking up a conversation with this guy. Finds out that the flyer is for his band. He says, oh, cool. I'll check you guys out. Checks him out and he's blown away. He says, these guys are going to be something one day. These guys are going to be big. And I'd like to represent them. Well, the, the catch of that was that... John was able to offer them because they already had something lined up with a record label. John was able to offer them a two song, basically agreement. And they said, sure, we'll give you these two songs. We think this other song that we have on this album is going to be a really big single, but we'll give you these other two that we feel are just as good. And uh, you can promote them for us. So what he does is this band gives him two songs. He has the record pressed. Now, check this out, especially all the folks who would be so-called millennials. Listen to this. Gets a record pressed, puts him in his backpack, gets in a mountain bike, starts riding around New York City, nearly getting hit by cars every single day. Because if you've ever commuted in New York, it's insane. He's in a mountain bike every single day looking to hand out records to record stores. And he'd go in and he'd say, look, I have this record from a local band. Just put it on your shelf. Sell it for $2. And then once it's sold, I will replace it. I mean, this is the epitome of low-level marketing. This is the epitome. I mean, this is bare bones. This is almost door-to-door -door vacuum sales in a way. Actually, it's not that. It's not to that level. It's a little higher. But it is business-to-business, business, but that's not the point. This, I mean, just think about it. He's going to individual stores and saying, here, one record. And would you believe he got turned down 80% of the time, 90% of the time? Some days he never, he, he didn't give a single record. He was giving them to the record store and they wouldn't take him. Finally, he'd get one. And then it would turn over. He'd go collect his two bucks. Admittedly, he says it was probably an intern he was working with that actually did that that actually bought the album. <clears throat> but then there would be another one. And then word got around. Word got around about John Suk and his discovery of a little band that was on the cusp of greatness called Not A Surf. And right now I'm going to play the first two releases from Deep Elm Records on the 45s, actually one of the earliest recordings
of the band Not A Surf. This is before Popular. This is before a well, long, established career that continues to this day. John heard them in their very beginnings and was blown away. It's that ear for music that has kept Deep Elm going this long and will keep it going into the future. After we listen to some Not A Surf, we're going to uh, kind of wrap up the story a little bit and get into what to expect from the next Deep Elm or unofficial Deep Elm podcasts, uh, including various uh, lists that I'll be profiling and bands and our next episode, which will be profiling the latest Deep Elm release. So from one of the first to the latest on the very next show from a band called Inward Oceans. This is Pressure Free, followed by Deeper Well. And this is the band Not A Surf, a band that John Souk discovered. And a band, one of the first bands to ever release music on Deep Elm Records. This is the unofficial Deep Elm Records podcast. I'm your host, Alan Wayne. Stay tuned. Nothing. Then what am I doing? What am I doing? 
it was from recordings like these that John Suk built Deep Elm Records. His ear for music, as I've mentioned before, caused many music insiders to follow him around New York to see where he was going. That earned him notoriety, and the rest, they say, is history. Today, Deep Elm offers independent artists not only the opportunity to be heard and represented by a very respected independent record label, but also the ability to have their music possibly utilized in such such things as television commercials, television shows, even major motion pictures. To say John Suk has done well for himself, both spiritually and in the business sense, would not be too far of a stretch. Now, I'm about to wrap this show up. I hope you've enjoyed it. In the future, you can expect profiles on individual Deep Elm bands, shows about bands I call Deep Elm alumni who have who have been uh, on the label at one time. But uh, one unique thing about Deep Elm Records is that they offer the ability for the artist who... By the way, they choose all their artists from submission, and they get dozens of submissions every day to be a part of this label. Uh, It gives the artist an opportunity to not only be represented, but to um, just to, you know, just on one record label deals. That's what I was trying to say. I apologize for the noise in the background. I have a very rudimentary studio at this point and three dogs that bark at everything. So, uh, so... Back to my point, uh, record labels generally sign bands to large constricting contracts that basically restrict them from doing anything that the record label doesn't want them to do. John believes in a different way. John believes that the artist should have a choice. So every artist is chosen from submissions that they've made, and every artist is a record by record deal or an album by album deal, which is unique in the business, but it's not surprising. It's beneficial for the artist and John will go to bat for the artist and do everything he can to make sure that they achieve the maximum success. So as I said before, I hope you've enjoyed this first chapter of the unofficial Deep Elm podcast. There will be several more to come and if you like those tracks, they are available on the album 45s, which is a digitally remastered retrospective of the first releases of Deep Elm. And you can find that at www.deepelm.com. And the best part about it is you can name your price on it. Get a bunch of good music for as much cash as you want to put forth. It's up to you. It's all about your choice. Deep Elm Records is all about choice, independence, and the ability to make decisions. That is what Deep Elm is all about. And it's a pleasure to be at least, if not affiliated with the label, to at least be able to podcast about it and spread the good news about Deep Elm. This is Alan Wayne. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Deep Elm podcast. <laughs>